0: Welcome to Chat NDT with ASNT, a podcast from the American Society for Non Destructive Testing. I'm Debbie Siegler, the host of the podcast. Alan Calder has worked in the non destructive testing industry for more than 19 years in the technical and business arenas. His experience includes business development. Quality and executive management. Alan is an AST NDT Level 3 in magnetic particle and ultrasonic testing. As the Vice President of Sales for Advanced OEM Solutions and the Phased Array Company, his primary focus is on business development and sales in North America. Hi, Alan. Thank you for joining me at Chat NDT with ASNT.
1: Hey, Debbie, uh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: How did you first become involved in non-destructive testing? How did you begin your career? Uh,
1: That's a good question. Um, You know, and I think my answer is probably like a lot of people, where I ended up in NDT not exactly intending to. I. In, straight out of college, I was doing some quality assurance and design for a PCB manufacturer, and they were slowly moving uh, their facilities overseas, so I decided I need to find another job, and I'm in the Charlotte area, and I got a job with Flotech, who manufactures uh, specimens for NDT training and testing, so I got a job with them doing... Basically, drawings and and quality assurance, like I did at my previous employer. And I, when I came on, you know, the joke is I didn't know how to spell NDT. (laughs) So when I came on, I didn't know anything around non-destructive testing. But that was in January two thousand two. So wow, it's a long time ago. So uh, it'll be twenty-three years in NDT since then. Come next month.
0: What was your major in college? Did it relate?
1: It was. I went to Appalachian State University, which. Most people only know it because we beat Michigan one year when they were number one in football. But I went to Appalachian State University. They didn't have an engineering program. So I would kind of say my degree is in what I kind of call engineering light. It was product design and industrial. Industrial technology was the main header. And then I was in product design under that. So it was like engineering, but more focused on materials, less focus on heavy math. So I didn't have like differential equations and all that. But it was a good, you know, I had a class on metals. So I learned about a lot of things about metal (laughs) and ceramics and wood. So it was, was, I'd say, an engineering light is kind of like the way I like to term it to people.
0: Did you, have you had any other training after you left Appalachian State that applies to non-destructive testing?
1: Not before I started in the business, no. And I, you know, if I look back at my Old job, probably the closest to NDT that they did was visual testing. You had, which was really, I really admire those people because, you know, we were doing PCBs. I mean, some some of them would be, you know, 18 inches by 18 inches with who knows how many components. And you would have someone at the end of the line, you know, a sample of the boards and would spend with, you know, a magnifying uh mirror or, or uh, large magnifying glass, excuse me, and would basically verify every component on the board. So that was visual testing. And I could, you know, they would sit there all day with this big magnifying glass looking at tiny, you know, resistors and whatever, trying to ma- and making sure they're oriented correctly and solder correctly. So
0: isn't it amazing how technology advances? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right can you tell me what uh, PCB is? Cause you've mentioned that before a,
1: pr- a printed circuit board. Okay. So, so it's, it's, they did contract electronics. So like the big one I was working on was for the, I forget which for the people that make the easy pay, like I think speedway or somebody like that. They have, um, gas, uh, uh, you can use a little easy pay pass to pay for your yes. gas when you're pumping gas. So we did the piece the the circuit boards that were inside there that, that, were the receptor for the for the signal coming from the little speed pay, fob. Uh,
0: when you first started, is it
1: fair to say were you doing visual? So I started with Flawtech and I was doing drawings and doing QA. Um, you know, we were manufacturing a lot of samples for the nuclear industry, so we had to have a, a QA program coincident with with what was required to be a vendor for the nuclear industry, which is pretty pretty heavy duty. Um, and, you know, it was a small company, and I, tr- I tried my best to take the opportunity over the years to advance within the company. I mean, when we started, I think it was probably six or seven people doing all the work. You know, we had three people in the shop, had a few people in the office. Um, and so as the company grew, you know, I, I transitioned to doing project management. So making sure what the customer asked is what we built. Um, you know, still maintained doing the QA. And then uh, at some point, I decided, so I'll take a step back and say for pro- 10 years, I was watching people do UT and other methods, you know, even, you know, for some of the nuclear samples, I was looking at phased array data for, from very advanced scans from the nuclear industry. So I had been around used he specifically for a long time and, and then probably oh, around 2010 I said, well I need to learn this myself. You know <laughs> if you you know it's it's easy to replace a manager, but it's not so easy to replace a skill set of someone that can do actually do hands-on in DT. At least that was my my thought process. So I started and I went through the standard process, you know, that everyone does. I took a level one, level two classroom Um, hours. And then I started building up my hands on hours. So I feel like being around it for so long and talking the language for so long, it kind of gave me, you know, an accelerator to, to understanding things. And so I felt that was a big benefit. And then what was probably quite unique to my practical use of ultrasound versus I think a lot of people is that I was I almost all of my hands-on hours came from examining samples at Flotech, which all had defects in them because that's what you know that's what they they did they put defects in samples. Um, so you know there. I won't go to all into the weeds on their processes, but it's a mechanical process, really. You know, a lot of people would assume that they use, let's say, for a UT sample, use UT to size the, the defect, but it's actually sized during the manufacturing. So most of what I was doing was checking to make sure that the balance of the weld was clean and wouldn't have an indication that would cause someone taking a test to either do a false call and say something was there that wasn't. And then also looking at the defects themselves to make sure they were in general compliance with the size and also gave, generally gave the signal response that you would expect from that indication. So every day, every time that I did UT, I was care- looking at and characterizing defects, or I think, you know, from what I've talked to people and most people that are working in the field, you know, they're there, they may. Spend days scanning and never see a defect. And so that was a interesting, I think, probably interesting, you know, aspect to my journey in ultrasound. And, and I was thankful for that. I mean, there's, I, there's kind of two sides to that. I think some people would say, you know, you're not in the field setting things up and, you know, in the rain and running scans, and I completely respect that. So that's one of the downsides to it. Um, You know, I don't, I'm not one for being able to set up a big scanner and, and, and do all that kind of thing. But I'd say, again, on the upside, I got to see a lot of defects. And then I also got to see just a wide variety. You know, we did things for pretty much every industry. So, you know, where a lot of people, if they work in aerospace, they inspect aerospace parts. If they work in oil and gas, they're looking at, you know, oil and gas um, assets. So I was, I was lucky enough to get to look at a lot of different things, which I think was, was helpful um, in kind of broadening my understanding of, of UT.
0: And so then, after you sort of became the master of ultrasonics at Flaw Tech, what was your next move?
1: <laughs> uh, master, I guess.
0: <laughs> I mean, we all become like if you're doing something repeatedly and you're learning a process. I mean, you're you're mastering that technique, right? So that you you it's like you're you're building up your base of what you know, so that you can add on to it. Or as technology changes, then you're ready to move on to whatever um, changes are happening in in the industry.
1: yeah and you know I t- to be honest with you, when I started, I always had the goal of getting my level three you know that was when I started doing UT I, you know I had already made a decision I'm gonna I'm gonna get my level three. so I was you know and I this is you know advice for anybody out there that's doing NDT. You know, if we if we you know start talking about what it takes to get certified and things like that, um, you know, I was very particular about recording my hours. You know, I, I spent a lot of time studying during during my <laughs> during my lunch. I spent I started with that goal, and so in 2014, I sat. It was at the Charlotte or Charlotte, no, excuse me, Charleston conference. I sat for the basic on Saturday and the ut on sunday and i was lucky enough to pass so i I got my level three and then you know i went to various trade shows with Flawtech, and at some point i was at at ndtma i saw a gentleman named gavin dow give a presentation on fmctfm which was this kind of new really interesting advanced ultrasound technique and i happened to maybe i guess it would have been a Four or five months later, I was at a, a different conference and he happened to have the booth beside me. And I started talking to Gavin and, you know, one thing led to another. And I ended up um, taking a job with his company, um, Advanced OEM Solutions, it's actually two companies, AOS, Advanced OEM Solutions and TPAC, the phase array company. But they were looking for someone to do business development sales for them. So it was really interesting, our conversations. And so I, I ended up taking a position with them. And, you know, kind of what we've talked about with my experience was, was very helpful in that, is because, you know, we're doing, it's strictly ultrasound and, uh, you know, AOS kind of the it's business model is quite unique in the industry. Um, we provide bare electronics and software tools to system integrators. So they are going to take our electronics and our software tools and use them to create a final product. It's kind of like a B2B sales. Um, and, you know, the phase A company side is, was historically more UT engineering. Now we're doing, you know, end user products. So more B2C products, but it was a similar dynamic as in it was a small company. Um, you know, we, You know, I have customers in every industry, so I get to still see that, you know, wide swath of industries and having that previous experience, you know, and talking and meeting people, you know, across the board um, in in the NDT industry was very helpful. And then it's it's a very technical sales role. So it's, it's It's not so much of you know bringing your product and demoing it and walking away with a purchase order, although sometimes I wish it was that easy. (laughs) But it's uh, you know I'm expected. My level three is I'd say pretty much necessary for me to do a good job at what I'm doing now.
0: Was there you know in the very beginning there was ultrasonics and now there's phased array and why is uh, phased array so much so important now?
1: So you had I'd say there was a kind of a step change in industry from conventional. UT, which is basically a single element probe. I mean, there's probes that are dual, what they call dual elements, but let's just say a single probe that's pulsing and receiving and you're getting a single A-scan or a waveform for each probe. And, you know, I think some of it is generational because personally for me, like I say I started really doing my hands-on UT in 2010. And we were lucky enough to have a phased array instrument, so I spent very little time doing conventional ultrasound, and pretty much learned on phased array. So phased array brings some some benefits over conventional. Um, you know, we can start with the the pure, let's say, physics aspect of it, where you know a conventional probe. It's and it's you know it's broken down by formulas and and mathematics, but a, a conventional probe has a specific area of focus and it's fixed. It's a you know a function of the frequency of the probe and the, and the diameter of the of the piezo element in it, but it's a fixed focus. So with phased array, P-A-U-T, phased array, the phased means you're phasing the arrays, which basically means you have multiple, much smaller, multiple elements inside one probe. So what you do is phasing, are you pl- applying time delays to these, ar- to these different elements within the array, which allows you to focus at different areas. So that that brings a, you know, a big benefit where instead of having a a static focus, I I have a lot of flexibility on being able to focus uh, my probe. So so that in itself brings a big benefit. You know, there is, let's say, a mechanical aspect to it where, let's say, something like corrosion mapping where with a single element probe, I'm, you know, rastering. You've got the system and it's moving the the single element probe back and forth and back and forth so with phased array it allows you to do something they call electronic scanning so there's some some amount of that that mechanical movement of the probe is replaced by electronical electronic m- rastering <laughs> or scanning of the phased array probe itself because typically let's say you have a 64 element probe your only, only actually transmitting. Let's say in a corrosion application with eight of those elements at one time. Let's say, and so and and that eight, you know, depending on the dimensions, let's say that eight uh, elements of that probe equals a quarter inch. You know, quarter inch is a common size of a probe of a conventional probe. So instead of moving that quarter inch conventional probe mechanically, I can take that eight element aperture, which equates to let's say a quarter inch probe and electronically move it all the way to the other through all 64 elements so i'd scan on i scan with elements one through eight and then i scanned with elements two through nine uh three through ten all the way to the end of the probe and then so what that does is it allows me to minimize some of that mechanical movement so my aggregate scanning time of a certain area is going to be less and then also you're going to get better resolution because the you know let's see, let's use a round number, you know, let's say there's a one millimeter pitch or spacing between each element. So instead of, you know, so I'm basically able to get a snapshot or a scan at every millimeter. When I move, when I have elements one through eight and I, and I move to scanning on elements two through nine, there's only a millimeter kind of difference. And so my coverage is much better and I'm going to have much better resolution and, and viewing of the defect. And then I, you know one of the aspects I saw, and this was especially true in my work at Flawtech, and I think it's it's true across the board. You know, in my work at Flawtech, I would you know, <laughs> I was the feedback loop to our welders if they had done a good job. And so you know, it was, it was kind of it was. I mean, I got along. I I I that's one thing I miss about my old job is I missed all the welders. They're all good guys. I really enjoyed working with them, but it was a kind of an immediate feedback loop for them where they'd weld a sample up and then I'd scan it and tell them, Hey, this is good or this is bad. Or maybe you have a lack of fusion, some unintended lack of fusion in hinge somewhere. So if I'm doing that with conventional, I've got this, you know, let's say skeptical welder uh, and I've got to convince him that, Hey, you made a mistake.
0: I mean, they haven't, they haven't embraced you like the the guy at Flotech right they don't want to they don't want to hear what you have to say
1: well so and then with a so with conventional you're basically showing them a squiggly line and telling mm-hmm. them hey you messed up here's this little spot on this squiggly line where with phased array if we look at something like a, a weld scan i'm able to place an overlay of the weld profile on the screen and let's say you have a sector which shows a much larger uh, it's usually kind of a triangle shape, but it's the, so I'm able to overlay my, my phased array data on top of the weld and, you know, it's all nice and colored, you know, red's bad. Right. <laughs> so I'm able, instead of saying, Hey, this squiggly line that you're seeing shows there's a lack of fusion. If it's, if I'm right and it's a lack of fusion, I'll be able to overlay it on the profile of the weld and it'll have a nice big red blob on the side of the weld bevel. And it's, oh, yeah, okay. So how does that work on larger if we think about, you know, I mean, that's one aspect of it. If you talk about, you know, in an organization communicating things to a manager or a customer of how to show that your phased array technique is good, it's much easier for the layperson to see phased array data. And I wouldn't say it's fully intuitive, but it's much more intuitive than just a standard conventional A scan.
0: How would you compare or contrast phased array to other techniques, uh, including ultrasonics or otherwise? So in, in
1: general, I think that I think it's a, f- a friendly relationship. You know, in, in general, I think the different NDT methods, you know, they're, they're complementary and not so much opposing. And, and they all have their, their, uh, their place and their justifications for their usage. Um, you know, there's certain you know penetrant testing. I've done a little bit of that in my life. Um, but you know there's there's like let's say aerospace, a lot of aerospace applications where penetrant testing is is the best way to, to find surface cracks on these things. Um, you know, I'd say if there's any techniques, let's say radiography and UT are probably let's say the closest competing techniques, but you know radiography is very good for, Volumetric defects, like inclusions or porosity, where those are naturally dispersive to ultrasound. So you can still detect them with ultrasound, but let's just say it's they don't present as as um, starkly on the data. So you know radiography is really good for, let's say welds for you know inclusions and porosity. they they just jump out at you, where you know cracks in welds or what they'll call you know planar indications like cracking or lax of fusion in welds are generally very high amplitude in ultrasound, are very easy to see in ultrasound, and they can be very hard to see in radiography. So, you know, I think, you know, they're complementary in that case, but, you know, there's some, you know, like there's a whole kind of move of what they call PAUT in lieu of radiography, where people are trying to, you know, Instead of doing radiography and on certain assets do phase array and so that comes in where you know, with radiography you've got a source and you know you've got to kind of close down things and it takes a it's a bigger footprint. Um, so there I think UT provides a benefit. And also with radiography the thicker the material is the more you know let's say power you've got to have to see to to to, to push through that material. So it, it's you know that, that's that's more expensive um, takes a longer, uh, time to, to do. So I think, you know, UT has some benefits as opposed to radiography. And, um, in that case, you know, what's really big now is additive manufacturing is becoming really big. And that's the one that I'd say UT and and radiography are kind of competing with. And it's some of it's that same dynamic, but, you know, with additive manufacturing, pretty much, if it can be dreamed up, it can be it can be 3d printed you know they can 3d print the most complex parts
0: mm-hmm. which
1: you know if you have multiple surfaces and whatever it's and 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 voids that's not good for ultrasound very good for radiography but then on the other side when you start trying to print very big parts it becomes and they don't. And typically, the very big parts, you know, you're looking at, at you know, like aerospace, for instance, is trying to incorporate additively manufactured parts. So we start talking about these really big parts, and they're metal. The the, co- the pure cost and and scalability of a of a you know computed or a CT scan CT system to do that is it's it can be um, prohibitive. Where you know. UT can offer some real benefits there. Of course, there's some complexities for the UT, but, um, those are kind of competing. And then we talk about phased array. That's phased array was a step change from conventional ultrasound. Then I think we're seeing now in real time, it's over the past three years. Let's just say that past three years, you're starting to see kind of another step change in ultrasound, which is, um, yeah, the new FMCTFM techniques, full matrix capture and the total focusing method.
0: Can you talk about those?
1: So we are um, big proponents, I'd say, of FMCTFM at my company. You know, I mentioned it earlier. You know, I, I, my first exposure to, to AOS and TPAC was hearing, you know, someone from our company give a presentation on FMCTFM. And this was in 2016, which was a bit before it was starting to be adopted in the NDT industry. So, um, you know, our company has 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 been kind of at the forefront, I'd say, of FMCTFM. I've done a lot of um, presentations about it. Um, so FMCTFM, like I say, I see it, and I think a lot of people see it as the next step change in ultrasound inspection. So So we talked about, you know, with conventional, you go – has a fixed focus – you know, based on the probe um, specifications. And then phased array allows you to kind of choose your area of focus. So with phased array, let's say we're focused in one spot. With FMC-TFM, you can basically be focused anywhere within your area of interest. It's, um, you know, it's, it's a lot of interesting mathematics on the back end, but basically you take a huge volume of data, and then apply some imaging algorithms on the back end. So the FMC is the acquisition of the data, and the TFM is the imaging of the data. It's been kind of shortened, I think, in a lot of marketing in the industry. You just call it TFM, but the TFM is actually the imaging, and FMC is, is the gathering the data. So you go from being able, so let's say, that with phased array to conventional, you went from fixed focus to Focus where you need to focus. Now we're going to you can be focused everywhere. So I think that starts to bring a lot of a lot of benefits, and it's it brings higher resolution images over a, a larger area. So you start to see some really really nice data. Well, we you know with phased array you can see a a nice presentation of data um, versus conventional with FMCTFM, it's like, it's kind of an order of magnitude better. I mean, there's a lot of nuance behind it, but, but, um, yeah, it's, 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 I again, I see FMCTFM as that kind of next step change in ultrasound.
0: Does it matter what industry you're in or is that better for one particular type of material over another? You know, the early
1: adopters are industries where, you're looking at very, looking for small defects. You know, that's a very broad statement, but I think that's probably an easy way to kind of parse it out. So industries where, you know, let's say nuclear, um, some aerospace applications where they're looking for tiny inclusions and big billets. Um, So those are probably the first people to to start to adopt FMCTFM. So it's, I mean, you know, in general, the more regulated an industry is, the harder it is to, to bring on new techniques just because you've got a lot of, you know, governmental procedural red tape. Now, I say that and I say nuclear is an early adopter because I think, you know, they have some int- very interesting uh, problems that they have to solve inspection wise with attenuative materials and things like that, which kind of forces them to be earlier adopters. If we talk more broadly, you know, the, the more regulated an industry is because we have some industries like aerospace still re- relies heavily on conventional. And it's just because it's such, which I'm very, I, I fly, I traveled a lot for my job and I fly a lot for my job. So I want them to be very conservative <laughs> <laughs> and bringing you know, on new techniques. Um, so I, I think, you know, and, and I want to add in some, some context here, you know, FMCTFM isn't the silver bullet either. There's some, you know, there's some complexities to adopting it that are being, you know, they're being addressed, you know, more and more over the years. But, you know, FMCTFM genera- generates a huge amount of data, to be honest with you. It generates a huge amount of data compared to a phased array scan so i could scan this up let's just say the same piece with phased array and the scan would end up being i don't know let's just say 50 megabytes i could scan that with with fmc tfm with high resolution the scan may be 10 gigabytes so if you start to scale that to a real real world applications it starts to be there's not commercially available um, equipment to store that much data or RAM to process that much data so I think that's um, you know that's an impediment to it being adopted
0: would AI have an influence then on all that data so I think that's an interesting topic
1: you know I think AI, Assisted defect recognition, machine learning, all of that—that that is coming into higher usage when we talk about large data sets. With FMCTFM, you have a very dense data set for a small area, but when we talk about going out and doing, because I'm heavily—I've been heavily involved, thankfully—in this, you know, I have a lot of customers in this kind of, you know, new newer area of automation and roboticization of NDT. So what happens there is you you can acquire a huge amount of data, but then you know, how are you going to analyze it? <laughs> it's, uh, somebody's going to spend, you know, you might be able to say, hey, I've got a robot and I can scan your your asset in 30 minutes where usually it takes three days. But then you've got to be able to look at all that data. So that's where I think you're going to start to see more and more kind of, you know, assistive defect recognition where it's basically machine learning algorithms that are kind of taught, and I'm not an expert on that, but I, I can speak on it, but where they're kind of taught what to look for and um, can, can go through that data a lot quicker. So I think that's kind of, right now, that's an impediment to, to uh, heavy adoption of robotics is, and let's say you, uh, ultrasound robotics, because it's, you know, something like radiography, it's a picture, right? So mm-hmm. if I want to train an AI that, you know, like I saw some, some news story where a company or a, a city, you have to pay a certain tax rate on if you have a swimming pool in your backyard. And so they took a drone and flew it around the city and think about, you've got a big map. Well, if I can write a computer code where I have a certain you know, shade of blue that it looks for, and then I can it parses those out. Then you have a much smaller data set that I can say, Oh, there's a pool, there's a pool, there's a pool. So when you t- picture based things like radiography, I think are a lot, a lot, I want to say simpler. I don't want to insult our friends in the radiography business, but simpler to apply these AI things to versus ultrasound, which is a lot more nuanced and it's. It's, you know, it's because at the end of the day, you know, we're talking about all these advanced techniques, but truly but at the end of the day, behind all of these advanced techniques are still the A-scans from the, are still the A-scans that you had with conventional. They're just mm-hmm. being imaged in a new way. So to teach these, these, these algorithms to, to look at, at these uh, waveforms and come up with trustable, repeatable data is, is a challenge for sure.
0: So what do you see as the future of UT and NDT market in the industry as a whole?
1: Kind of right along the lines of what we're talking about is just more automation, you know, for better or worse, for, you know, everybody out there doing it, you know, you see a lot more people, you know, I, again, I go to, I'm heavily involved in the robotics world and NDT and I go to a lot of the conferences. It's kind of started with visual you know, you can, you can have some guy put on a harness and climb up to the top of a water tank to look at it. Or I could just take a drone and fly, you know, when you see drones everywhere, you know, every, i see people, kids flying drones around my neighborhood. So if we just think of, you know, if we start with visual inspection, you know, I know they're using things like flare stacks and whatever, in oil and gas, where it's, you know, dangerous (laughs) to try to try to do an actual eyes on visual inspection. So you can fly a drone and, and, And do a lot of you know think about it you've got hundreds of miles of pipeline out in, you know the canadian Mm -hmm. you know yukon Uh, you can send somebody out there to do visual inspection or you can just fly a drone out there so i think you're going to see more automation um you know in in the robotics world you know you've got a lot of applications i mean there's a big you know let's in oil and gas you've got what they call confined space entry which, which is dangerous. You know, let's say you've got storage tanks and, you know, historically you clean them out and the guy goes inside there. Well, there's a lot of, you know, there's gases and what happens if he gets hurt inside there? And then how do you get him out? So why can't we just put a robot in there? So, you know, and I think you're just going to see, I'd see, see the early stage right now is where you have these specific use cases where you're trying to make things, you know, um, acute safety problems. And so you see people addressing that, and then I think as it goes on, it's just going to be the general case is is dealt with with automation. And automation is different things, you know. It's like, you know, even the robot NDT robots—they're not like R2D2, you know. Right. <laughs> and, and I you think know, people I, are
0: fearful of 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 losing the human from the job. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I think it, it's. Some of it is, is not as complex as let's say a robot out there doing the scanning, you know. But when we talk about just automated or semi automated uh, scanners, people are you know instead of somebody scrubbing pipe with a hand, by hand, you start to have you know s- scanners that whether somebody pushes it or whether it somebody drives it with an Xbox controller, which is uh, what everybody does now. I just think you're gonna see more and more automation. And with that automation, you're gonna see more and more uh, focus on some of the the software side of how, you know, how do you deal with this data? How do you make good calls? How do you, you have to, if you're gonna do machine learning, you have to have data sets to feed the machine learning algorithm. So then how would we get those data sets? And maybe people are working to acquire those now to feed a machine learning that's gonna be working in five years. Um, So I think a lot of that, I think you're gonna see a lot of focus on that
0: Thank you for listening to Chat NDT with ASNT. For more information about our organization, please visit our website at asnt.org. You can also connect with us on social media at asntinfo on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and YouTube. Chat NDT with ASNT is copyrighted by the American Society for Non-Destructive Testing ASNT creating a safer world